New Life Church. Wonderful to be with you here again on this Lord's Day. Also want to thank you, those who responded and sent messages and emails this last week regarding last week's message. I just want to say if you go on our Facebook page, um, New Life Church's Facebook page, you will see some articles there as well as a link that I put there for um, security, a security sites, software sites that you can use for your own home, uh, different options that are available there and uh, that article was there for you your, your family in your home and unwanted sites popping up on your on your screen. But today we continue our study in the Ten Commandments. Today we're not dealing with um, lust or about adultery. Today we're going to look at the Eighth Commandment. And I hope so far that in our study you have understood the connection between the first table of the law and the second table of the law. I hope you've understood the, the link between loving God and loving our neighbors. I said to the youth this morning, we cannot be loving our neighbors properly unless we have a right relationship with God first. And that's what the Ten Commandments are trying to teach us. And that's why the first four commandments are all about our relationship with God. And we saw in honoring our father and mother, we respect our authorities out of reverence for God. It's all, it's all linked. In the commandment not to kill, we were reminded to respect the, the image of God. And when we looked last week at the seventh commandment, we saw the connection between loving God and loving our neighbor, that link. But today we return, or we turn to the eighth commandment that speaks of our respect for our neighbor's property. And if we really believe in God's providence, and if we really believe that our neighbor is made in the image of God, then we will not be tempted to distrust God's provision so that we would be taking and stealing from somebody else or something else that does not belong to us. We will not steal from our neighbors. But as you know, our cultures, all of our different cultures, wherever we're from, we struggle with the sin. And that's why it's important for us to look at this message this morning. So if you would turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, I'm going to read from verse 1. To verse 15. Exodus chapter 20 from verse 1 to 15. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the 
Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal. Father, we pray this morning again that you would please help us to see clearly your word, to understand the meaning behind these commandments, and that we would obey. Lord, that we would not just be here this morning again going through rituals, and that we would not be tempted like the Pharisees were to think that, that externally perhaps we haven't robbed a bank, so we're fine. We pray, Lord, that you help us to see the the letter of the law as well as the spirit of the law this morning. And we cannot do that without your spirit illuminating these words to us this morning. So we pray please that the spirit of God move amongst us. May the spirit of God change us. May he comfort us where we need to be comforted. May he convict us where we need to be comforted. That you would receive the glory this morning from all that is done and all that is said. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning my first point is simply why is stealing wrong? Why is stealing wrong? Well the first and most obvious reason that stealing is wrong is because God has forbidden it. Now some time ago the Associated Press ran a story about a young man who tried to steal gas from Dennis Quigley's motorhome in Seattle, Washington. And his intent was to stick a rubber hose in the motorhome's gas tank, suck on the other end of the hose until he got a mouthful of gas and then spit it out. And then with the gasoline flowing through the hose, he intended to fill his own tank. But Dennis Quigley happened to be inside his own motorhome at the time. And when he heard some noises outside, he, he ran out and he discovered the thief curled on the ground, vomiting violently. Intending to suck up the contents of the gas tank, the thief had put his hose into the wrong hole and had sucked up the contents of the sewage tank instead. So that young boy discovered the hard way that stealing doesn't pay. That stealing can be very distasteful. And there are many reasons why God has forbidden stealing. And I believe that this commandment has much more to teach us than just being moral, just avoiding a bad experience. All the Ten Commandments are what they, they are because God is who He is. God is holy. And one of the absolute reasons for this commandment, and a reason that we will never change and it stands true in every situation in our lives, is God's unchanging character. He is the ultimate source of all that is good and everything that we have that is given to us. If anyone legitimately has any good thing of their own, it's because God has given it to you. He is our provider. And the scriptures tell us in James chapter 1 verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He is the creator and the rightful owner of all things, and he gives whatever he wishes to give of those good things to whomever he chooses to give them. And we need to trust his sovereignty. And stealing is really a sin against God's providence. It's a stealing, it's, it's, it's a sin against God's providence. 
It's a sign that we don't trust God. We don't trust God to provide. And as a result, we take matters into our own hands. Stealing is a sin against the image of God in, in man. Because it does harm to the people that we, we steal from. And the Hebrew word for steal used in Exodus chapter 20 verse 15 is the word gonab. Gonab. And it occurs 40 times in the, in the Old Testament. And it means to carry away. It means to secretly bring by stealth. So a good transliteration could be, could be rendered like this. You shall not take anything by stealth. You shall not take anything by stealth. So the Old Testament applies this broadly. Let me give you some examples this morning from the Old Testament. And we're going to look a lot at the passages from the Old Testament. And I've put a lot of these passages on the screen so that um, you can follow. But look with me beginning in Exodus chapter 21. 21 verse 16. First of all, this commandment forbids kidnapping. Stealing other people. You cannot take people. It's not just you can't take things, you can't take people as well. Exodus 21 verse 16. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. So stealing people was punishable by death under the, the Hebrew law. Look at Exodus 22 verse 1. This command forbids stealing animals. Stealing livestock. Exodus 22 verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. And note also that the law requires fivefold restitution for a stolen ox um, or, a, or an animal that's been slaughtered or, or sold and a fourfold restitution for a stolen sheep that has been slaughtered or, or sold. So there was a value placed even on the animals. It was expensive. The point is it was expensive to steal in the Old Testament. Thirdly, look at Exodus chapter 22. The law of Moses even allowed you to use lethal force to defend yourself or to repel a burglar who might be in your home at night. And we've come in to take things. Um, the Old Testament law allowed you to use lethal force. To protect yourselves, look at Exodus chapter 22, verse 2. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. Notice in Exodus chapter 22, verse 4, that the law demanded either restitution or some type of penalty for, for theft of a, of a slave. Um, if you had money that you could pay over and above what you had stolen for restitution, you did it that way. But if you didn't, you would become a slave yourself in order to pay back that money. You would become a slave in order to pay back that money. Um, the point is that this design was designed like this so that the injured party would make sure that they understood that there were serious consequences for stealing. There were serious consequences for stealing. Look at Exodus 22 in verse 5 and verse 6. You see the compensation here that is required. And if one of the animals you've stolen gets loose in your, in your neighbor's field and, and it goes into a vineyard, it goes into um, a field and it messes up that field, 
you have to make restitution to your neighbor. Exodus 22 verse 6. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make restitution. And then turn forward with me to Leviticus. And we'll look at Leviticus chapter 6 and Leviticus chapter 19. If you cause injury to somebody else's property, if you stole somebody else's property, there was restitution that had to be paid, compensation. There were strict laws against stealing. Just a few examples of how comprehensive this, this command is, this eighth commandment is in the Old Testament. That's what I'm trying to show you this morning. Leviticus chapter 6. Let me read from verse 2 to verse 7. If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him, or the last thing that he found, or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full, and shall add a fifth to it, and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest, as his compensation to the Lord, a ram without blemish out of the flock, or his equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. And notice again that stealing becomes expensive business, especially if you are caught. Stealing was expensive. Finally, look at Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19. In verse 13, this commandment even required fair treatment of your of your domestic help, the maids. Look what it says in verse 13. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You were commanded not to steal from people that work for you. There were these strict laws. Now the Old Testament forbids all types of stealing under this command. Whether it's burglary, whether it's kidnapping, whether it's, it's robbery, whether it's stealing, whether it's theft, whether it's white-collar crime, all wrongful treatment of people in economic relationships. That's how general and how broad the Old Testament defined stealing. Of course, it requires that we respect our neighbor's life. We respect our neighbor's property. We respect their, their freedom as well. And we don't impose or take any of that away from them. And the commandment here establishes property rights. And when people try to promote communism, this is a perfect place in the scriptures where you can go, where we see that the Bible promotes capitalism in the right way. As long as we're respecting the people in the image of God. 
But God is commanding us in His Word here to refrain from all type of harm that can be done from stealing from their property. But let's, let's look at the New Testament. Let's see how the New Testament addresses stealing. And it does a little differently from the Old Testament. As I said, the Old Testament was very broad. But the New Testament becomes a little more specific. And the New Testament addresses the believer. It addresses the person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ as their, their Lord and Savior. And the New Testament sees this command as a, as a contradiction of your conversion. If you're stealing, then that is, that is fruit of the flesh. It's not a, a fruit of the Spirit. It's a contradiction of your profession of faith. And that's how the, the New Testament addresses this. Look at Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 3, verse, verse 12 to verse 14. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Here in Luke, John the Baptist is speaking to the tax collectors. He's also talking to the soldiers, these people who have come to faith and are now going to be baptized. This baptism of repentance that John was, was giving. And he says to them, do not steal. Now, these were the people that had embraced this message that John had been preaching. They had embraced the Messiah. And they had repented of their sins. And they wanted to fulfill all righteousness. And John says to them, the best way that you can do this is by not stealing. The best testimony that you can give to the unbelieving world is not to steal from people anymore. Remember the tax collectors did that very well. And even the soldiers abused their positions of authority and were corrupt and taking money where they shouldn't have. And he's saying, don't steal. It is a testimony of what Christ has done in your life. It is the testimony of your converted heart. You really want to show that you have repented to stop stealing from people. Now as Christians, we are counseled to take this commandment with, with sober earnestness. Realizing that our obedience is a result of the grace of God in our lives. Obedience is the result of the grace of God in our lives. And it's evidence of our conversion. And it's essential to the world around us. It's an essential witness to the world around us. If the world is going to see Christ, they need to see Christ in and through our lives. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So the Apostle Paul here is contrasting the way some Christians were before they met Christ. Remember he's addressing the, the Ephesian church. And he says, some of you were like this. Some of you were like this before you were saved. 
And the way they are as those who are filled by the Spirit now is different, he says to them. And he says the same things to the Christian slaves in Titus chapter 2. Look there, in Titus chapter 2, verse, verse 8 and verse 10. 8 to 10. And sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. If we are working for somebody, or we, if we have people working for us, our testimony adorns the doctrine of God our Savior. And stealing is a very significant part of that testimony. Do people know us as thieves? Or do they know us as people of integrity with, with honesty? Remember, he says to those slaves, don't steal. And these are Christian slaves, okay, that have come to Christ. And the fact that you no longer steal from your master is a witness to the master of, of the truth of God that you have embraced. Paul says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 9 and 10, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Up to this point, all of us are saying, yeah, we're fine. Look at verse 10. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This includes people who steal, thieves. And then he says in verse 11, Such were some of you. Such were some of you. But not anymore. So these Corinthians were, 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 were Greek, and they were all part of the, the, the pagan culture, which was stealing. Stealing was very much part of that culture. But, since the grace of God has been given to you and your lives have been changed, that is no longer a, a characteristic of a Christian. Some of you were swindlers, but not anymore. You've been changed. You have been washed by the blood of Christ. You have been sanctified. You have been justified in the name of Christ. So the New Testament expects a change. It assumes a change in the believer in the regard to this commandment. It's a comprehensive command. It's a spiritual command. It's not just talking about the externals here. It's talking about the internal change that happens when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We no longer steal. So we saw the Old Testament with a very broad application, but we see the New Testament really becomes a little more specific. In fact, Paul will warn Christians over and over again that they are to be a testimony of Christ. A testimony of Christ to the lost world around them. Just because everybody else is stealing doesn't mean you must steal. Just because everybody else does what they do doesn't mean you must do what you do. We are, we are slaves of Christ. We are no longer slaves of sin. The New Testament recognizes that. The New Testament shows us that 
believers, it, it sees the truth, it sees the, the hard truth that even though we are slaves to Christ, we still struggle with this old flesh. We still struggle with different types of sin. And that's why we are instructed. That's why we are instructed here in the New Testament. Let me look at the second point this morning. What are the different ways that we might steal? What are the different ways that we might steal? And the Bible teaches us that there are many types of ways that we can steal. Proverbs 29 verse 24 says, The partner of a thief hates his own life. He hears the curse but discloses nothing. Or whenever we knowingly buy something or property that someone else has stolen, it is theft. It is theft. You know, pirated software, pirated movies, this is stealing. I remember in India, the only video store that was in our village when we first reached there, and we went to go and visit to find out some videos that we could watch, and um, we've got this DVD in this box, and um, it looked authentic, and we asked the man, is this an original? And yes, he said, of course, this is original. We don't sell any copies. This is original. Took the video home, started watching the video, the DVD, and we saw the silhouette pop up with the man with a box of popcorn and a, and a cold drink in his hand as he went to go and sit on, in his seat. Straight away we knew that this video had been copied in a, in, a, in a cinema house. So we took the video back to him and we said, this is not original, this, was, this is a copy. And he says, no, it is original. It is a Malaysian original. It is a Malaysian original. Chris, maybe you can help me out with that at some stage. I couldn't understand that. Obviously, he had a different definition. But the, the Bible doesn't. The Bible doesn't. The Bible tells us clearly, if we knowingly buy goods or property that someone else has stolen, it is, it is theft. And we're guilty of theft when, we, when we're dishonest in our business dealings. When we deceive people to spend more money than is fair. And that is right. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 1 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. Proverbs 20 verse 10 says, Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So the scriptures are telling us the definition of what stealing is. The Bible tells us of another way we can steal. And look at Psalm 37. Psalm 37 verse 21. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. In Exodus 22 verse 14 it says, If a man borrows anything of his neighbor and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. You can't borrow something and then break it and then give it back broken. You can't borrow something and then it gets taken or destroyed and you've got nothing to give. That is, that is a form of theft. It's a form of theft. The Bible is very specific about the definition of, of theft. And the Bible has much to say about theft in the workplace. It tells us that 
employers steal from their employees when they refuse to pay them fairly or when they unjustly withhold the pay that is due. But theft in the workplace can also come from other directions. We know employees can steal from their employers. They steal by sneaking goods and materials home from the workplace without permission. Stealing pencils, stealing paper, stealing uh, paper clips, stealing coffee. It's all type of a theft. It's all quiet at this moment. <laughs> we can steal from our employees when we, when we don't arrive on time. Or when we leave early. And we steal on the time card. We're not faithfully working when the employer has paid us for that specific time for us to work. God's word forbids many other forms of stealing from other people. For example, it mentions such forms of stealing as as cheating on our taxes. Cheating on our taxes. So these are some of the ways that the Bible tells us that someone can steal from other people. But the Bible also clearly talks about stealing from God. I want to spend the rest of our time looking at that. God said to Israel in Malachi chapter 3, if you turn there with me, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 to 10. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and your contributions? You are cursed with the curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I remember in India, we used to have bags similar to our offering bags that we pass around here. And often I would see people put their put an empty hand into the offering bag. An empty hand, and they would just open it up like that so nobody would see that nothing fell into the bag. And that kind of disturbed me. I mean, not only are you trying to deceive the person next to you, but what God in, God can see what is in your hand. God is right there looking at what is going on in your hearts. I mean, robbing from God is I think another beast completely than when it comes to robbing other people. I think there's there's an extra seriousness, an extra weight that the Bible puts on stealing from God. The Bible tells us in one of the more horrifying stories of Scripture, remember King Herod Agrippa stood before the crowds to speak, and when they all cried out repeatedly, this is the voice of God, this is not a voice of man, King Agrippa, he became very prideful and he eagerly accepted the praise for himself. But we're told in Acts chapter 12, verse 20, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and he breathed his last breath. King Agrippa was stealing the glory from God. He was stealing the praise from God. Very serious. Remember in the Old Testament, Daniel tells us that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he walked about in his royal palace and his beautiful buildings. 
And he said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for, for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? And immediately, remember what happened, a, a voice from heaven rebuked him. And he was driven from the palace and he became mad like an animal eating, eating grass from the fields for seven years. Because he was wanting to rob God of the glory that he deserved. Daniel tells us in chapter 4, verse 30, Until he learned that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. God is the Most High. He deserves the glory. We mustn't take the glory away from God. We mustn't steal from God. God deserves all the glory. To steal from another man what God has given to him is a great evil. But to steal from God what belongs only to God is unspeakably greater evil. That we need to be aware of. Thirdly, my third point this morning. What causes someone to steal? What causes someone to steal? Well, I suggest that stealing begins with a state of discontent in our hearts. A state of discontent that expresses itself in covetousness. I'm not going to talk about covetousness today because that is the 10th commandment. But Jesus taught in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, He told us to be aware of covetousness. Or to be aware of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And the false belief is that ultimate happiness and fulfillment in life comes through having possessions. Folks, this is what the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel teaches. That you are blessed by God if you have lots of possessions. This is a false gospel. This is a false gospel from the devil himself. Jesus tells us here clearly, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Protect your heart. Protect your heart from the state of discontent. From the state of discontent. Don't be looking around at what the Joneses have. Don't be thinking because my neighbor has this, I need to get that. This is not a competition. That's materialism. It is a terrible temptation from the devil himself. We think that we are entitled to what our neighbor has. Folks, the only thing we are entitled to this morning is hell itself. That is really what we deserve. That is what we deserve. But God in His grace has given us Jesus, what we don't deserve. Don't think that we are entitled to all these things around us. Don't be tempted by what the devil will throw in your face. You know the story of the little boy who was caught stealing at school. He stole some pencils and his daddy brought him home and said, Son, why in the world did you do that? You know, I can just bring you some pencils home from work. I mean, that father had a sense of entitlement, didn't he? I mean, the boy was just learning from his father's example. We think we have a sense of entitlement, we think things belong to us. And we take and we steal. And those who do this sin, they 
fail to appreciate the image of God in man. And it's okay if we steal from other people. No problem. We fail to appreciate the image of God in man. Have you ever been stolen from? I know we have many South Africans here and I'm sure they have many stories to share. But have you ever been robbed? Or have your home broken into? And you know how violated you feel. And you know how insecure you feel when that, when that happens. It's because somebody else hasn't appreciated the image of God in you. They haven't respected the image of God in you. And along with that discontent and envy in the heart is a distrust in the providence of God. We want to trust God that He will give us what we need. And that's often the problem, isn't it? When God gives us what we need, we're not happy because it's not what the Joneses have. We want our greeds met and not necessarily our needs met. We're discontent. God Himself has promised to provide for us everything that we need if we trust in Him. Jesus says in in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first His kingdom. Seek first His kingdom. Sometimes I've heard people pray this. I was guilty of praying this as a young child. Lord, if if you give me this, I will worship you. Lord, if you do this for me, then I will worship you. That's not what Matthew 6 is saying. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Paul promises in Philippians 4 verse 19 And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Be content. God will give you what you need. Trust Him. Trust His providence. Trust His character. Paul again writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's given us his son, folks. He's given us his son. Why not trust him to give you that new pair of jeans that you need? He's given you His Son. Trust His character. The Apostle James writes in James chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, and you desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel, you do not have, because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you are asked wrongly to spend it on your passions. It's a heart problem. That's what the scriptures are showing us. It's a heart problem. We're not grateful for what God gives us and we want other things and we start to quarrel and we start to fight and it leads to other types of sins. It leads to anger and eventually murder covetousness and destruction and then we hypocritically ask God to bless us if I love God if you love God then we'll be content with what he has given us 
And we will trust Him for all of our needs that He will supply. If I love my neighbor, I'll respect my neighbor and I'll protect what God has given to them. I won't take it, I won't steal it. Some people break this commandment because they fail to believe that God will provide. This is a sin. This is a sin. You can be saying, Lord, I don't trust you enough that if I work and do the best I can, that you'll provide for my needs. The Lord promises to provide for His children. And the question really is, are you His child? Are you His child? The Lord has no obligation to look after children that do not belong to Him. Just like you have no obligation to look after children that don't belong to you. Are you His child? Can you say 100% this morning that you belong to God? Some people sin because they they just want to do something illegal. Some people steal because they think it's, it's fun. Now, have you ever been involved in vandalizing something as a youngster, as a youth? Ever taken something just because it's fun? Now Augustine, one of the early church fathers, one of the greatest theologians in church history, tells what he did when he was a teenager. In his confessions, he tells the story of how he and some of his teenage friends went and stole from a neighbor's pear tree. Maybe we won't steal pears today, and maybe we'll steal other things, but try and try and relate to him, okay? He says, they got so many pears that they couldn't hold any more, and they had their arms filled with pears. He said, they each took just a few bites, and then they threw them away to the pigs. Why? Because it wasn't the pears they were after. They just wanted to enjoy breaking the law. There are a lot of young people today who do just that, isn't it? The Bible says that's a serious sin. Jesus tells us in Matthew 15 that it is out of the heart that comes theft. Out of the heart comes theft. Well, let me conclude this morning with my last point. What are we to do instead of stealing? What are we to do instead of stealing? Well, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us, we looked at this already. Let's look again. Ephesians 4 verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I would guess the reason for for 99% of all expats that have come to the UAE is for work purposes. And a lot of those expats have come here because of the financial incentives that their job offers them. But as Christians, let's not fall into this materialism trap by thinking that we are here in order to work so we can have. I'm working, therefore I deserve. I'm working, therefore I will buy. The most radical thing about this text is that we are commanded to do all our secular work with a different mindset, with a view to meeting the needs of others. Notice that. So that we can give to others. You can live to have, legally or illegally, you can take, you can, or you can be a Christian and live your life for the glory of God. Live your life to give to others. 
this is a this is a wonderful radical teaching. David Platt, he wrote a book called Radical. If you haven't read it, I recommend it. And I really suggest it maybe during the holidays. It's a small little book, easy read. But the title of the book was called Radical: Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream. And we all know what the American Dream is: to have a nice little house with a white picket fence in the front, with with two cars and, and two and a half children. I think that's the American dream. You know? I'm not sure how that works. But to have that type of material possession. David Platt, in his book, he says, We are settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. Christians, we are to live for God, not to live for ourselves. And the devil wants us to live for ourselves. The devil wants us to accumulate possessions. The devil wants us to be selfish. The devil wants us to be greedy. The devil wants us to be covetous. He wants us to waste our life. Ephesians chapter 4, a few verses later, in verse 22, says, Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're no longer living for our selfish desires. We have been renewed. We have been changed. We live for God. And the scriptures tell us that, that obeying the commands of Jesus is like taking off the old self and putting on the new self. We know the old self is corrupt because of our bad and selfish desires. But the new self is created after the, the perfect image of God, who is righteous and, and holy. So when we become a, a Christian, a change happens, a miracle happens. Something like the first creation of man happens all over again in our hearts. Biblical obedience is not just turning over a new leaf. I mean, anybody can do that. That's not what we do when we become Christians. We get the Spirit of God. A miracle. We have the power of the Spirit to help us with these changes. Verse 23 really is the key there in Ephesians 4. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We hear a renewal takes place. Before there can be true biblical obedience, there has to be a renewal. Remember, we can't, we can't be having these great relationships with people around us if our relationship with God is, is not right. If we are to obey God, this transformation has to happen. This is the renewal that this passage talks about. If we try to be obedient to Jesus without this transformation, all the only result is Phariseeism. That is the result, Phariseeism. And we've been looking at that extensively. And we've seen the hypocritical Pharisees who on the outside look fine, but on the inside they were rotting corpses. According to verse 24, the new self is created by God. It's not something that we can muster up. It's given by God Himself. It is a creation. We can't create. 
We can imitate, but we cannot create. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is creation of God. So the opposite of taking is giving. The opposite of taking is giving. The opposite of stealing is sharing. And that's really the spirit of the, of the Eighth Commandment. Don't take, don't steal, rather give. That's what the New Testament is teaching us. It's a reflection of the character and the nature of Christ. Remember Christ, He came not to be served, but to serve. And to give His life as a ransom for many. Thank God for that, folks. Thank God that Christ came to serve us. Where would we be if He didn't do this? If He wasn't willing to give His life? Christ gave His all for us. So that we would give our all for Him. All we need to do is put our trust in Him. If you say your faith is in Christ, well, do you trust Him? Do you trust Him to provide for your needs? One theologian shares the story of his time in Nanjing, China several years ago in a book he wrote. And he says on Sunday he and his friends visited various, various churches in the city. And the older Chinese woman, now living in Los Angeles, chose to visit the church across the river from Nanjing, a poor church composed of farmers. The 900 who were present for the service wanted to hear a word from their, from their sister from the States. So Mrs. Chang brought greetings from her church in Los Angeles. And she told how the Lord had added many to their church and how they were currently building a large new venue. And after a word of blessing for this church, she took her seat. But at the close of the worship service, Mrs. Chang was called back to the front. And the pastor said her words had thrilled their hearts. And they wanted her to have the morning offering to help with the new building in Los Angeles. They collected $140. The widow's mind right there. Their heart was right. They wanted to give and they gave their best. They gave the whole offering to them. The whole offering. When generosity is not dependent on how big your wallet is. It's dependent on how big your heart is. When Jesus gets a hold of your heart, you can't help but give. So trust Him with your life. Give your heart to Him so He can make you into a gracious, generous person like He is. David Platt said in his book, Radical, but then I realized there is nothing going, sorry, but then I realized there is never going to be a day when I stand before God and He looks at me and says, I wish you would have kept more for yourself. I'm confident that God will take care of me. The problem of stealing, the problem of violating this eighth commandment is a matter of the heart. So the solution is found in the heart of Christ. And if you're thinking through some of the applications of this, of this sin today, and you realize that, that you are a thief, 
And you realize that there's a pattern of stealing perhaps in your own life. Maybe a respectable sin, maybe a, a white lie, a white sin. It may never be uncovered by somebody else. No, some people may never learn about it. But there's a pattern. And there's also a solution. There's a solution, folks. And that solution is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting that, remember, there were two thieves who were hanging besides Jesus. Two thieves who had broken this commandment. And one of them, one of them saw his sin for what it was. And he cried out to the Savior, Don't forget me when you come into your kingdom. Forgive me. And remember what Jesus said to the thief, Today you will be with me in paradise. The Lord will say the same thing to you today if you're willing to give your heart to Him. If you're willing for your heart to be renewed. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we ask that you would teach us this morning. You would show us our own sin by the commandments, just like you did to the thief on the cross. And then that you would teach us to run to the Savior. That we wouldn't be Pharisees this morning. That we wouldn't make excuses for our sins. That we wouldn't be hypocrites, Lord, this morning. So please, let your Spirit do the work that He needs to do in our hearts this morning. And that we would obey. That we would obey your commands. And we would be willing to trust you. Not trust ourselves. Not trust our own flesh. But that we would be willing to trust your character willing to trust Jehovah Jireh, our provider. We ask this prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen.